The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. I'm Jeff Cutmore. Your headlines, the Dow rallies as Wall Street hopes Fed Chair Jerome Powell uh, hits the right note in his Jackson Hole speech today and Fed officials stress the need to keep lifting interest rates. I like the idea that you get the rate increases in uh, earlier rather than later. We've got inflation right now. Uh, we've got a strong labor market right now. Uh, it seems like a good time to get to the right neighborhood for the fund rate. President Biden signs an executive order boosting U.S. chip making as he rallies his party ahead of the November midterms, criticizing Republican ideology as semi-fascism. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. Backup systems kick in after shelling in Ukraine disconnects Europe's largest nuclear power plant from the country's grid, sparking fears of potential nuclear disaster. And millions of households across the UK brace themselves for larger bills as the country's energy regulator prepares to lift the so-called price cap. So let's pick up on some of those headline stories this morning. U.S. GDP contracted at a narrower rate than first feared in the second quarter. Thanks to ongoing strength in consumer spending, GDP shrank at an annualized rate of 0.6%. That was less than the initial estimate of 0.9% and below the 1.6% contraction that was recorded in the first quarter. So back-to-back quarterly contractions would usually be defined as a recession, uh, but supply snarl-ups have led to dwindling inventories, meaning unfinished and unstocked products cannot be included in the latest GDP reading. Well, as central bank officials from around the world gather for the Federal Reserve's Jackson Hole Symposium, Fed officials Esther George and Patrick Harker remain non-committal on the size of the next rate increase, refusing to say whether they would hike by 75 basis points for a third time in a row or slow the pace back down to 50. But speaking to CNBC, St. Louis Fed President uh, Jim Bullard struck a typically hawkish tone, saying he wants to see the Fed funds rate top 3%. Steve Leesman has the report. In some of the first Fed speak to come from the Jackson Hole Fed Conference, St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard in a CNBC interview striking a hawkish tone, saying that he thinks inflation could prove to be more persistent and that the Fed needs to bring rates up now quickly to combat the current inflation problem. I like the front loading. I like I like the idea that you get the rate increases in uh, earlier rather than later. We've got inflation right now. Uh, we've got a strong labor market right now. Uh, it seems like a good time to get to the right neighborhood for the funds rate. 
That hints strongly towards a 75 basis point rate hike at the Fed's September meeting. But not everyone from the Fed we spoke with was so definitive. Philly Fed President Patrick Harker said he hadn't decided what to do in September and wouldn't until he sees the inflation data. But he wants people to remember 50 basis points is still a hefty hike. I want to see the next reading and then decide. Next inflation reading? Yeah, next inflation reading. That said, I want to put this in a bit of a historical context. Since 1983, the Fed has raised rates 86 times. 75 of those were under 50 basis points. And I think we have to recognize that a 50 basis point move is still a substantial move. Where both agree is that rates need to move higher. Harker paying 3.4% by year end, Bullard 3.75 to 4%. Esther George also agreed in an interview there's more work to do for the Fed. And she said she wants to see three months of better inflation data before she'll consider dialing back the pace of increases. Markets are going to be listening closely for answers about all these questions and the outlook to Fed Chair Jay Powell, who's going to give a keynote speech to kick off the conference here in Jackson Hole. Steve Leisman, CNBC Business News. Steve Leesman always giving us a, a, a decent run through of the latest commentary coming from the Federal Reserve speakers. You know, um, in ancient times, um, they used to do divination or, or divining of the future using some fairly rum methods, um, chicken entrails, uh, rolling bones, even uh, up to the modern era. I think they've been reading tea leaves here in the UK to try and figure out what's going to happen next. And quite frankly, Um, This is where we are in terms of what Jay Powell is going to say today. Um, We've had a remarkable run uh, through the last six months or so here, not only with the markets, but also with investors trying to get a real sense of just how committed this Federal Reserve is to drive interest rates, headline in inflation, uh, drive interest rates higher and headline inflation back down to that 2% target rate. And the challenge, of course, is that we still have very strong employment in the United States. The economy looks relatively robust from the employment perspective. In terms of the uh, labour market, then, uh, relatively strong. The latest inflation print would suggest that actually inflation is peaking or possibly rolling over here. And even though, what are we down on the S&P at the moment? I don't know, across the year, something like 10 12% as it were, we've had a rebound and largely the financial markets seem to have taken most of the rate rises on the chin so far. And what you heard there from Steve Leesman and the narrative that is coming out of everybody that's commenting on Jackson Hole at the moment is we're not going to get any specifics from any of the Fed speakers. Will it be 50? Will it be 75? They are non-committal on that topic at the moment, which means that ultimately you may have to go back to your chicken entrails or your bones or your tea leaves to actually get a clear sense of what the market reaction is going to be today coming out of the Jackson Hole session and, of course, the Jay Powell speech that we were all we're all looking forward to uh, in the afternoon here because um, my sense is actually it may be a bit of a damp squib in giving us real strong direction uh, for the markets on Monday. But, you know, typically um, when you look at the Jackson Hole uh, speeches and then ultimately the market reaction, you don't necessarily get an immediate knee-jerk response to the upside or the downside. So we know what's been happening the last couple of sessions here. We've actually had a bit of improvement 
in the, in the tone and the strength of these US indices markets after those first three week sessions at the beginning of the week. And yesterday, I think um, we built on some of those gains on Thursday, the NASDAQ being encouraged to uh, see a little bit more buying in the technology companies. And a lot of that has been related, I think, to the earnings news that we've had out of some of these businesses, which again, hasn't been as bad as many feared. The S&P up 1.4%, the Dow Jones Industrial Average um, up nearly 1% here. Treasuries, again, Part of the reason I think that we got some of this uh, robustness in the uh, equity market session is we actually had a pullback uh, in the Treasury market. I think it was about eight basis points or so. And we also saw the dollar rolling over a little bit here. And again, you've got the sense that maybe we've seen the uh, best of this recent push forward in the greenback. So that takes us back to... Uh, 136.81 in terms of uh, dollar yen, sterling sitting at one spot 18, and as you can see on on euro dollar 0.9961. We still sit very close to those parity levels. I think early on in the session we're we're just seeing the the dollar back on the front foot here, but the tone of late has been a lot less certain, and that obviously is going to force the currency traders to listen very carefully to what they think the Fed speakers might be indicating uh, through this Jackson Hole session. Uh, mixed bag in terms of the gold vs the uh, oil this morning. As you can see, the oil quotes just looking a little bit firmer whilst we have uh, spot gold a little easier here. But it's not a great move, is it? And we're about two-tenths of one percent uh, weaker at this stage on the spot gold print. So we may get a better idea of how much the Fed will tighten later today when the latest personal consumption expenditure figures are released. They're one of the Fed's uh, preferred inflation gauges. Analysts are expecting to see a moderate easing in the July data down from uh, 0.6% to 0.3% on the month. But one of the big challenges is basically the Fed has scrapped the playbook on forward guidance. So we are very data dependent. So these numbers will be important, but I'm not sure if they're going to make Jay Powell change his speech today. Tim Dewey joins us, Chief U.S. Economist at SGH Macro Advisors. Tim, good morning and thank you for being with us. Um, how relevant or important do you think the PCE data will be to what Jay Powell has to say? I don't think he would change his speech uh, in in response to that data. I think we all expect it to be on the softer side relative to the previous month. Uh, and the Fed, the Fed, I'm sure, has the same same expectation and really looking forward to that next print. Uh, what they're really looking for is to what extent do we see a series of softer inflation prints? And certainly one print is not a series. Um, the, the messaging so far has been from most of the Fed speakers, we are not going to put a number on the likely hike at the next meeting, um, which is just creating uh, e even more opacity, I think, about Fed thinking at this stage. We know that they're talking hard about the need to bring the inflation number down, but how cognizant will they be of the need to not generate too much fear at the consumer level when it comes to those drivers of economic growth here. It's a very, very interesting balance they have to meet today. Sure, yes, they, they certainly are not 
trying, they're trying not to give a lot of signals about what they expect at this next meeting. Uh, it is clearly a, a very data-dependent outlook. They've been very, very clear. They want to know what the next labor report is uh, and, and what that next uh, inflation report. I suspect we'll start to see more firming of, of opinions about this next next um, uh, meeting after the labor report. Uh, it is a little bit unfortunate that this next inflation report comes uh, you know, during the blackout period, will not be able to speak. So they might want to give a little bit of guidance ahead of that. Uh, but right now, they, I, I don't think that they see much of a reason to give uh, a, a guidance. Uh, as far as sort of maintaining some type of um, uh, you know optimism uh, uh, for the public, you know, I, I do think that they they truly believe they can they can soft land the economy. That means really get inflation under control without bringing uh, bringing on a recession. And I suspect that's going to be part of the messaging we continue to see this weekend. Um, what do you think the Fed should actually be doing at this stage, given that uh, the labor market continues to appear relatively robust, even as we see uh, maybe some weakness in uh, the, um, uh, 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 the, the, the consumer-related data uh, around the outlook. So, so it seems fairly clear that the Fed should continue to uh, raise interest rates. Um, I'm not so much worried about the size of this next meeting, whether it be a, a 75 or 50 basis point rate hike. I know there's been a lot of focus on that. I'm more focused on really where we think the terminal rate is going to be and 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 how really fast are we are we going to get there? Sort of in, as far as the end of this year and into uh, 2023. So really, for me, it. it it's an issue of, I, I think the Fed probably needs to get something toward that uh, uh, outlook uh, suggested by uh, St. Louis Federal Reserve uh, President, um, uh, Mr. Bullard, um, uh, where we're adding another 150 basis points by the end of this year. 150 basis points. What is that going to mean for, for the dollar, the yield curve and the property market? Huh. Of course, that, that depends somewhat on, on uh, you know, as far as the dollar goes, sort of what, what other central banks are doing. Uh, you know, I think the, the financial markets have, have priced in a fairly substantial uh, increase in, in uh, the Fed funds rate already. So I don't think this would be terribly out of line. Um, as far as the U.S. property markets, we're certainly seeing them slow. Uh, as we see the impact of, of higher, uh, um, higher interest rates work their way through demand, uh, and, and so I would expect that really we're not going to see a strong rebound in housing anytime soon, clearly, until we get the Fed to um, uh, really think about reversing this. And that's not going to happen uh, anytime soon. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think you know, we're still in the early stages of, um, in many ways, the early stages of this rate hike cycle, where despite seeing some weakness in, in a handful of indicators, uh, the Fed is, is more likely than not to continue going forward at, at what I think would be a fairly uh, expeditious pace. Um, maybe not 75 basis points, but even uh, 350 basis point rate hikes in the rest of the year would not be out of the question at all. Um, Tim, it's been fiendishly difficult to forecast outcomes over the last six months. In fact, for the last three years, and we've seen some very wild calls on things like non-farm payrolls and some of the headline uh, GDP data. And we know why it's been so hard, because there have been so many external factors that have been unpredictable, like COVID in China or like the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine here. If, if you had to think left field, is there anything that you can think of at this point 
that could generate either a, a dovish or a, a more hawkish outlook from the Fed and um, uh, uh, bring to bear uh, different consequences for financial markets and the greenback? So certainly there's, there's two, two main scenarios that I, I'm always thinking about. One is uh, that, that unemployment really in the U.S. just keeps dropping, that this labor market has been very resilient. Uh, um, we haven't seen uh, you know, a, a large number of signs of slowing down. And so it's, it would not be surprising to me to see inflation, excuse me, unemployment fall to, you know, 3.4, 3.3% in this next report. Uh, and that would, I think, you know, be, be fairly hawkish and would, you know, help induce or move the Fed toward a 75 basis point outcome. But even more than that, I think that would really drive home uh, the message that they've been, they've been trying to, to send. And that's rates are going to be higher for longer than we would normally associate with a, with a, with a cycle. Um, certainly on the dovish side, uh, I, I, you know, we could talk about inflation um, coming down dramatically. We could also think about the drag from the rest of the world uh, as far as the, the, the European situation uh, um, with, with energy this winter. Um, we could think of uh, you know, the, the impact of, of a higher dollar on, on emerging markets. So th- there's, there's the external factors that could suddenly turn, turn around uh, on, on the U.S. economy as well. So clearly there are avenues here for, for dovish or, you know, extra hawkish outcomes. Um, you know, clearly, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, fairly hawkish myself and that, that the, the most likely outcomes are going to be on the hawkish side of the coin. But the central scenario still about another 150 basis points to go until we hit the terminal rate. Tim, it's been a real pleasure catching up. Thank you so much for being with us. Tim Dewey, uh, Chief U.S. Economist at SGH uh, Macro Advisors. Uh, And just so you can plan the rest of the day, we will bring you Jerome Powell's speech live from Jackson Hole. Uh, 1600 Central European time. Uh, That's when you need to get in front of the screen. U.S. President Joe Biden held his first rally in the lead up to the midterm elections in November. Speaking in Washington, Biden said voters were facing a choice between moving the country forward or backing what he described as extreme MAGA Republicans, a reference to uh, former President Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. He also accused the group of embracing violence and hatred, saying they edge towards, quote, semi-fascism. Well, NBC's Alice Barr has the report. President Biden back on the campaign trail today for a fundraiser and rally in Maryland. As recent primary results show Democrats making up some ground with voters, propelled by key issues like abortion rights. The president hoping to build on that momentum, touting recent victories, including his action to cancel thousands of dollars in student loan debt for 43 million Americans. It's not just like a financial lift. It's even like a a mental lift. Republicans slamming the move is unfair to those who paid back loans or chose not to go to college and accusing Democrats of worsening inflation by pumping more money into the economy. The single biggest problem facing the country is a direct result of the government making a gargantuan mistake last year and doubling down on it this year. 
With rising costs top of mind, Republicans are still expected to take back the House this fall. And there are new signs former President Trump's sway over the GOP has only grown stronger since the search of his Mar-a-Lago estate, when the FBI seized 11 sets of allegedly mishandled classified documents. A federal judge has now decided to release portions of the affidavit justifying that search after the Justice Department submitted a redacted version taking out information that's too sensitive to be made public. There will likely be so many redactions, it will leave us all frustrated. Despite the mounting legal troubles, a new NBC News poll shows 41% of Republican respondents identify more with the former president than with the party, up seven points since May. Going back to the midterm push, while many Democrats are applauding President Biden's student debt forgiveness plan, some say it doesn't go far enough, and there are mixed reviews among candidates in swing states facing tough elections and sharp criticism from Republicans accusing Democrats of overspending. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. Well, let's switch focus to Europe. ECB policymakers are increasingly concerned that inflation is becoming entrenched, according to the minutes from the central bank's July meeting. They agreed that inflationary pressures have intensified and created a risk of unanchored expectations. The central bank raised interest rates by 50 basis points last month, the first increase in over a decade. More hikes are expected next month, with inflation in the euro area standing at 8.9% for July. Still to come, UK consumers waiting nervously for the new energy price cap while surging demand triggers blackouts in China, giving electric vehicle drivers a whole new range problem. We'll talk about that when we come back. And just a reminder, for the lead-up to Jerome Powell's highly anticipated Jackson Hole speech later today, and to find out what some economists think of the current outlook for the US economy, do catch up with the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. I've just come back to the wall so we can have a quick check-in on the Asian trading session at the moment. And we're largely in positive territory, as you can see here. The number of things swirling around, um, just to remind you about, we um, um, obviously have a focus um, on the Chinese market at the moment because there is this story about the potential for a deal for Chinese companies that are listed in the United States to be audited in Hong Kong. Now, this, this would allow, I guess, um, US regulators um, to send their auditors to Hong Kong to look at the books of Chinese companies listed in the United States. It sounds kind of uh, wacky, doesn't it? But 
The bottom line is, one, it would, if this deal happens, it would indicate some improvement in the tone in uh, recent relations between these powers uh, when it comes to China's access to US financial capital. And two, it would potentially signal <clears throat> a change in Beijing's attitude at the moment to listings in the United States because as you know a lot of companies are now under pressure to perhaps not only list in Hong Kong or on um, uh, the Shanghai exchange but they're also being told maybe you need to come home and delist from the United States or at least have a secondary listing on a Chinese market. So we'll wait and we'll watch and we'll see if that deal actually gets uh, consummated. But at the moment, um, we do have a better tone in the Shanghai market. Hong Kong, <clears throat> it's been a very difficult market to make money in, but even Hong Kong is up six tenths of 1% at the moment. And I just wanna show you the technology index in Hong Kong, because um, if you look up here, the um, the tone over the last uh, 18 months or so has been really tough. And I think um, the uh, technology stocks in China um, listed in Hong Kong have been particularly badly beaten up. But we're, we're sensing a change in tone there as well. And yesterday you would have seen gains um, for China internet ETFs and this particular index up around 6% or so. And uh, uh, there's no better place, I think, to, to look than to get a sense of the tone. Um, Alibaba. Should we have a look at uh, Alibaba very quickly uh, just to see how that stock is trading? And I think, uh, well, you've got a, a representation, I think, of um, uh, Alibaba up uh, 2% this morning uh, again just a part of that improvement in tone around the Chinese technology companies well extreme weather in China has pushed electricity usage to record levels triggering blackouts in some regions um, and that of course is hurting EV drivers as Eunice reports the main charging problems are in the two largest cities in China's southwest, Chengdu and Chongqing, with a combined population of 46 million people. The power issues are generally the most severe there. EV makers Tesla, NIO and Xpeng, which have their own charging stations, have indicated to their users that stations are shut or working on a restricted basis. NIO called for users to share home chargers for a month until September 20th. Other services, EV charging station operator Tell New Energy and the state grid are trying to push people to charge off hours, mainly overnight, with deep discounts. Drivers say they're charging at stations in the middle of the night, on average waiting for two hours, or spend time searching for stations that are open. So far, the problems are limited to that region. In most places like Beijing, charging stations are working normally. But in the southwest, the power shortage looks as though it will persist. The province of Sichuan says that it's extending its power rationing till Saturday and Chongqing indefinitely. Eunice Yoon, CBC Business News, Beijing. Well, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn touched down in Taipei on Thursday. That's, of course, uh, the capital city of Taiwan, following in the footsteps of U.S. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Ed Markey. China undertook large military drills around Taiwan in the wake of Pelosi's visit. Blackburn met uh, Taiwanese President uh, Tsai Ing-wen and will hold high-level talks 
on Taiwan-U.S. relations before leaving on Saturday. Uh, back home, U.S. President Joe Biden signed an executive order to implement the $52.7 billion chip law. The bill is expected to make the U.S. more competitive with China by subsidizing U.S. manufacturing and research, easing a global semiconductor shortage. Meanwhile, Ukraine's president says the world has narrowly escaped nuclear disaster. Kiev says the Zaporizhia power plant was cut off from the electricity grid for several hours after fire broke out amid Russian shelling in the region. Moscow denies the allegation. Backup generators kicked in to prevent a blackout on cooling and safety systems. According to the Ukrainian authorities, the Ukrainian foreign minister, Dmitro Kaleba, has warned that the threat of nuclear disaster remains high. The situation is extremely dangerous. I'm, I'm receiving reports that uh, there are uh, fires in the forest near, uh, near the, the power plant. Uh, and we still have to uh, examine this issue more. The moment Russia arrived, Ukraine, Europe and the world appear to be at the, uh, <clears throat> at the edge of a nuclear catastrophe of uh, unimaginable scale. So as long as Russia will be present at the nuclear power plant at Zaporizhia, the threat of the nuclear accident will be uh, extremely high. Well, six months into the war in Ukraine, Russia is apparently boosting the size of its uh, troop contingent and military spending. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has signed a decree to increase the number of Russian combat personnel by 137,000, bringing the total troop size to just over 2 million. Western officials estimate as many as 80,000 troops have been killed or wounded in Ukraine. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.